Parenting teens is hard. Parenting teens in crisis is even harder, and we live in a culture that is really good at hiding. You know, we keep these struggles tucked in real tight around us, and so when something happens in our families that's tough and maybe even a little embarrassing, we feel like we're all alone. I promise you that you're not alone but you definitely need a place where you can be a part of honest conversations that give a voice to the challenges you're facing. A place that normalizes the hard that we have to walk through with our teenagers. So I'm inviting you to join us on this path towards healing, where we'll discuss topics that drive out shame and teach us how to navigate the emotions and uncertainty that come with parenting a teenager facing the juvenile court system. This twice-monthly podcast is presented by Pathways to Hope Network, and we strive to do all of that while honoring the unyielding love a mother has for her child. Well, hello, and welcome to episode 48 of Parenting Teens Through the Hard. I'm Angie, and I get the privilege of journeying along beside you through this current season of hard. And I say privilege because I truly believe that is what it is. Whether we are connecting through podcast, workshops, groups, or working one-on-one, it means so much to me to have been entrusted with this part of your story. I think perhaps one of the most rewarding experiences of my life so far has been to walk alongside parents as they are learning to navigate this new season in our lives, right? I have a lot of people say to me, how do you do this? How do you voluntarily walk into these hard situations with families? How are you able to sit in their hurt, their heartache, and their despair and keep showing up? And those are great questions. I think for some people, it's so hard to understand that, that they even question my motives. But the truth is, it's an honor. It's an honor because I get a front row seat to witness God working in their lives. I get to see these parents show up again and again in love, even when they're questioning every move they make. I get to watch as they discover the parts of themselves that need healing and growing before they can show up the way that they want to for others. I received the gift of watching them push past what they thought was impossible and become closer aligned to the parent that they were always meant to be. And without the heartache, without the hurt, without the despair, none of that would be possible. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me the privilege of loving on you and being part of that story. Seriously, thank you. So let's get to it, shall we? In episode 46, we began a series on communication with our teens. And in that episode, we talked about why it's important to foster open and meaningful communication with our children. We talked about how our perspective is significant in the way that we handle communication We talked about um, the emotional and cognitive development of teens, 
and how to create a safer and more open environment for those conversations using the acronym SAIL. And that stands for S, sharing your own experiences, A, avoiding judgment, L, listening to understand, and E, empathizing. Today, we're going to continue our conversation about communication, and we're digging a little deeper. Now, some of you may remember that in episodes 40 through 43, we did a series on the learning curve that we go through as parents as we're learning to parent a teen who's in crisis. If you haven't listened to those episodes, I strongly recommend that you go back and do it. They do a great job of breaking down the stages that you go through on this journey of parenting your teen through the hard. And one of the stages of that um, learning process is marked by awareness. It's this point that you come to when you begin to recognize that there are certain things you're doing that yield better results than other things. Or sometimes it's kind of like this inner nudge inside you that says, before you move forward with what happens next, you may want to stop and think about your approach. Even though you may not know the approach yet, you still have this inner feeling that something should be different. Sometimes when I'm working with parents, I'll have someone reach out and say, hey, I have this situation going on with my son or my daughter, and I need to talk to them about it, but I'm not sure what the best way to do that is. And when I hear that, it tells me two things. The first is that there's a shift happening. Instead of reacting in the moment to what's going on, there is a part of them that's recognizing a need to slow down and be a little more intentional on how they show up. And the second is that a realization is occurring where they are beginning to see the areas they actually have control over and are experiencing a desire to want to act in congruence with the parent that they want to be. Those are both great signs that things are heading in the right direction because their focus is shifting onto themselves and what they can control. And that is where our power is. It may not feel like it, but these conversations are a gift. They're an opportunity to form connections with our teens. These are the moments where we can work on bridging the gap, gaining deeper understanding of their world, and most importantly, start having heartfelt conversations that give us and them a peek into their thoughts and feelings. As parents, guardians, or mentors, we often find ourselves trying to navigate this delicate balance between being a guiding presence and allowing our teens the space to explore their identities. It's during this new dance with our kids that we start to recognize the power of meaningful conversations. We start these conversations with one purpose in mind one goal that we're trying to achieve or behavior that we're trying to modify, but unexpectedly they end up serving as a foundation that we are laying down. And brick by brick, understanding and trust is being built between us and them. So in this episode, we're discussing the art of initiating what I call heart talk. We'll spend some time understanding the unique challenges we experience during this process and discover the shift that occurs when we start to open our hearts and ears to what our teens are really saying. 
So I can't go into initiating conversations without first directing your attention to something really, really important. See, before we ever consider initiating heart talk with our teens, we must first have a clear understanding of the posture of our heart. This changes moment by moment, but it's really important to be clear on it before you engage. Before I sit down to have what feels like an important conversation with my teen or even my adult children, there's some background work that I do in myself. See, if I enter into this conversation with agenda around how this conversation will go, what I want their involvement to look like, and the outcome or behavior I would like to have changed by the end, I might as well save everybody's time and energy because the conversation is going nowhere. Heart talk requires each of us being willing to show up with our heart. These conversations are not talks that give us the exact results we're looking for. Instead, they are conversations that reveal our hearts. The purpose when I go into them is to try and connect with my child, to learn more about what's going on with them, and for them to feel safe and heard by me. That's where the posture of my heart needs to be, and that's where your heart needs to be in order for any chance of having a fruitful conversation. And we do the opposite of this most of the time, don't we? We start these conversations with a designated winner and loser. We want to give a lecture, we want them to feel remorse, and we want to walk away with a changed behavior. But it never seems to work out that way. As our kids grow into teens and young adult years, their fight for autonomy seems to lead us straight into a battle of wills. We dig our heels in, and they dig theirs in even harder. Neither of us gets closer to what we want, and the cost, the cost is our relationship. So the approach has to change. I have an adult child who has struggled with some unhealthy coping skills. When I began to see the destruction of those choices in their life, I tried all the usual tactics. First, loving, soft conversations, voicing my worry and concern. I felt pretty good about those. But when that didn't yield my desired result for their life, I went to a slightly more stern approach where I began to discuss all the potential for harm that this could cause them in their life. Still no results and even more stern talking to with a little bit of shame thrown in. What are you thinking? Do you realize how this is negatively impacting you? You need to get it together. With each conversation, my approach veered further away from the mom I wanted to be, and it drove a deeper wedge between us. When communicating my disapproval still didn't change things, then rejection. Man, it hurts my heart to say this. Rejection for a long time. I found myself in a place where I had little desire to reach out and connect with them. I mean, why would I? I would just be reminded of the changes that they were refusing to make, and it would make me angry. I would spend the entire conversation emotionally distant, barely engaged, and ready to end the call and back to life where, well, where I had control. 
It's painful watching someone you love struggle, isn't it? Their struggle creeps across the line into our hearts, and it begins to create discomfort. What starts out about them soon becomes about us. And in our desire to stop feeling the fear over what may happen to them, or the anxiety of playing out those worst-case scenarios in our mind, we begin to get desperate. And we go from the loving mom that we want to show up as to someone who comes across as controlling, impossible to please, and unloving. And remember, this all started from a place of love and concern over their choices. Ouch. It hurts me to say that I stayed in this bitter, distant, and emotionally detached state for a long time with this baby. I thought it was about them, but then I started to realize that what it was really about was me. See, I didn't know how to handle what they were struggling with. And I couldn't handle that I was unable to change their behavior. Until one day, far longer than it should have taken, I felt like God shined a little light on the subject for me. A small whisper in my heart that said, if you remove your influence in your child's life, whose influence will they be left with? And I began to argue back with the whisper, but I don't know how. They won't listen to me. I've tried to tell them what needs to be done. I've pleaded, I've reasoned, and even shamed, and they won't change. There's nothing else left to do. They're just going to have to figure it out for themselves. And the whisper replied, exactly. They're going to have to figure it out for themselves. And now that you recognize that, let me ask you again. If you remove your influence in your child's life, whose influence will be left? And then it felt like a curtain had been pulled back and I saw the situation in a whole new light. See, my real problem was not their behavior. My real problem, oh, some of you need to hear this today. My real problem was that I did not know how to be present in their pain without assigning myself the responsibility to fix it. I believe, and I am sure I will have people who will disagree with me on this, and that's okay, I love you. I believe that my number one job as a parent is to love. Love is the job God assigned to me when he entrusted me with these children. Love. And the tricky thing about love is that it's a bit of a shapeshifter. It looks different at different times. It can also feel different inside us at different times when we're practicing it. When it comes to our teens, love sometimes looks like giving consequences. Sometimes it looks like giving a hug. Sometimes love looks like driving home his girlfriend at 10 p.m. after he swore she had a ride home. Sometimes love is picking up that hair mask she wants from Target after she's been grouchy with you. Sometimes love is being a container for the pain they feel that you can't fix. Sometimes it's taking away the phone even though they'll hate you for it. Sometimes it's texting I'm sorry after a fight. Sometimes love feels like you're soaring high above the clouds and sometimes it feels 
like warmth in the center of your chest. Sometimes it feels like a shadow of disappointment over a missed opportunity. Sometimes love feels like discomfort and sometimes it feels like joy. So we can't base love on what it looks and feels like. Love has to be a posture in our heart. For me, with my adult child, love was being willing to have conversations, share life, laugh, encourage, and believe, especially in the midst of the struggle while allowing the struggle to be theirs. And you know what I have when I'm able to do that? Influence. We turn up our nose at influence and typically chase control because control feels like power, but influence is silent power. Influence changes a life. It shapes a dream and it does something that control can never do. It leaves your fingerprints all over their heart. Control will not get you closer to what you really want. Control is outcome-based. Influence is about the heart. And fam, we want the heart. So the first rule to remember is that conversations become truly heartfelt only when your heart's attitude is grounded in love rather than an urge to fix things. It requires playing the long game, recognizing that influence in your child's life will only come If you are willing to release your agenda in order to focus on love, and here's the crazy, wild, upside-down thing about it. When your heart releases the need to fix in order to focus on connection, the connection begins to become the fix. The connection, over time, begins to chip away at the walls. The connection relaxes those heels that were firmly dug into the ground, both yours and theirs. It softens the soil around your feet and you see things only love allows you to see. And I say all these things so easily, right? The words just roll off my tongue and into your ears and some of you think to yourself, yeah, that makes sense. Love. Love should be the focus. It sounds so easy, but it's so hard. It's hard because it requires us to put to death all the natural urges we have as a parent. It's an inner battle, and the moms that I am working with on this process, and you know who you are, are warriors. Seriously, they are warriors because they are learning the discipline that is required to slow themselves down. To work out through coaching and talking and journaling all their fears and worries so that they aren't bringing that into their conversations with their kids. They're cleaning house on all the internal things they are thinking and feeling to make room for their children's hearts. And they have to be intentional about it, right? Because we all know that those feelings don't go anywhere. We can learn to allow our child ownership over their struggle without letting our desire to fix it come between us, but that doesn't mean that we don't still feel the need to fix it. So what do we do with that? 
It needs a way out. It can't just be stored inside us because it won't stay contained. It will ooze itself out and make itself known the very second we think of attempting to have a heart talk. So it requires work. Soul work. It requires soul work. Remember how we've talked before about assigning ownership to problems? What piece is mine? What piece is theirs? What piece belongs to God? That was a tip that I learned from a therapist that I worked with several years ago, and it has been one that has been like gold in my life. Well, this is ours. This is our piece. This is our work. So before we go into practical strategies for initiating these heartfelt conversations, the first thing you need to know is that before you will ever be able to experience connection with your teen or adult child in an area they are struggling with, you will first need to create order around that same subject within yourself. Otherwise, your clutter is just going to get mixed up with their clutter. So rule number two is, you got to spend time cleaning house before you invite over company. Cleaning house is a process I use when my desire to control what's happening is beginning to outweigh my capacity to love. And I also use it with my clients when they express a desire to have an important conversation with their child and want to get clarity around what that conversation could look like. To help you with this, I've created a PDF with Heart Talk journal prompts as a free resource. If you are interested in receiving them, just shoot me an email using my email below in the show notes and let me know and I will be happy to send them to you as a free gift. Now, when you get them, I want you to think of this as self-care time. I read the other day that self-care is not saying I matter more. It's saying I matter too. So this is your excuse to grab your journal, head to your local coffee shop, order yourself something warm and comfy. My seasonal favorite is a London fog. It's like a hug in a cup. And give yourself some time to clean house. Trust me, the peace of mind you'll experience afterwards is worth it. All right, so let's do a real quick review. Then we're moving on to strategies for heart talk. Do we remember rule number one? Rule number one is that conversations become truly heartfelt only when your heart's attitude is grounded in love rather than an urge to fix things. Rule number two is to spend time cleaning house before inviting over company. In other words, do your soul work. Once you have those two things in place, then here are a few strategies to consider as you open your heart to embark on a journey of discovery. One where conversation becomes less about correction and more about opportunity to connect, understand, and nurture relationship. Remember the purpose of Heart Talk is to establish connection with our teens and young adults. It's to try and connect with our child to learn more about what's going on with them and for them to feel safe and heard by us. So here are a few things that can help with that. Number one, choose the right timing. Pick a time when both you and your teen are relaxed and not rushed. 
avoid bringing up sensitive topics when they are already stressed or busy with schoolwork or other activities. Don't try and squeeze these conversations in between school drop-offs and pickups or in the doctor's office waiting room. Number two, practice empathy. Empathize with their experiences and emotions. Let them know that you understand and validate their feelings. Avoid dismissing their concerns or problems as trivial. This takes discipline. A few days ago, my son was talking about his frustration over his grade being low in one of his classes because his teacher still hadn't graded his late assignment. I don't think I have to explain to you the willpower it took to not say, well, if it hadn't been late in the first place, instead, I focused on what he was feeling, frustration. I focused on his experience of learning this lesson and the heart in that. We all know that we are our own worst enemy. He didn't need me reminding him of that. Remember, communication is the anchor that keeps us present in their storm. And empathy is the anchor line that connects it to our boat. The next one is respect their privacy. Respect their boundaries and privacy. If they're not ready to talk, don't push. Let them know you're there when they are ready. Ask permission before delving into personal or sensitive topics. Ask your teen if they're comfortable discussing them. Respect their decision if they choose not to talk at that moment. Avoid snooping. Resist the temptation to snoop through your teen's personal belongings or devices. Trust is built on respecting their privacy. And respect their friends. While it's important to know your teen's friends and their influences, don't pry too deeply into your teen's friendships. Trust them to make choices about their friends and share information when they are comfortable. Be patient. Understand that some conversations may take time to develop. Don't rush them or force the discussion. Let it evolve naturally. Stay calm. Keep your emotions in check during conversations. Avoid reacting impulsively to their statements as this can shut down communication. And that includes mom's facial expressions. If it's unavoidable, be honest. Make it about you. You know, sometimes I'll say, you know, this is bringing up some fear in me, but I don't need you to fix it. I just wanted to let you know that my reaction is not about you. Thank you for being honest with me. That's the honest truth. Our reaction is about us. It's not about them and what's going on with them. And if we have a strong reaction to everything they say to us, they're going to stop saying things to us. So there has to be a little bit of a disconnect that happens where we can allow them to grow and make their choices, even if those choices scare us, while focusing on our love. Remember, influence. And finally, express appreciation. Show appreciation for any small willingness that they have to talk with you. Let them know that you value and respect their thoughts and feelings. These conversations, I know, are a completely new way of doing things. We're not used to having these types of conversations. This is going to take time. 
when you feel frustrated because it doesn't magically work the first time you try, remind yourself, this is going to take time. When you get angry because you were trying to be nice and they were acting like a jerk, remind yourself, this is going to take time. When you want to cry because you miss feeling close to your child, remind yourself, this is going to take time. If you practiced doing the waltz with a partner for 15 years and then all of a sudden you had to learn how to do the cha-cha, what would that look like? You'd be stepping on each other's toes, struggling to find rhythm. You'd feel frustrated, tired, like you want to give up. You'd be tempted to force your partner to stay with the waltz. Who needs to learn a new dance? But they are your partner. And if you want to keep dancing, you must be willing to learn the dance they want to learn. The New York Times did an article titled How the Body and Mind Learns a Dance. And in it, they say, when learning, most dancers share a relatively similar path. First, learning the choreography, and then adding layers of detail and color. Finally, they absorb the work so completely that its elements literally become automatic, leaving the dancer's brain free to focus on the moment-by-moment nuances of the performance. Remember episode 43 when we talked about the final stage of learning to parent a teen in crisis? Well, the article goes on to say, dancers call it muscle memory. And while it obviously manifests itself physically as far as dance is concerned, what actually happens, according to neuroscientists, is that the movements become thoroughly mapped in the brain, creating a shorthand between thinking and doing. We speak of a musician's fingers or a winemaker's nose, yet the resulting product is all the brain's doing, explained Daniel Glaser, a neuroscientist who works at the Wellcome Trust. Of course you need a body to dance, he said. But as dancers transition from conscious awareness of a newly acquired routine to the automatic performance of it, the brain is not doing any less work. But before they get anywhere near muscle memory, dancers must first, as they like to say, get the dance into their bodies. We're learning, friend, to get the new dance into our bodies, and it's going to take time. Parenting is about the long game, remember? This journey doesn't end with the school year or at 18. This journey is lifelong, and this dance you are learning is the very one that will help you partner with them into the next phase. And underneath it all, that is what we really want at the end of this. Relationship. So tune in next time as we continue our conversation about communication in episode 49, The Courage to Connect, How Vulnerability Strengthens Parent-Teen Relationships. Oh man, is it going to be a good one. And thank you so much to Coondog8900 for the five-star rating and review that you left on Apple Podcast. Your comment that reads, I've listened to the episodes multiple times because the content is so valuable for navigating the difficult road of parenting teenagers means so much to me and helps other parents who are struggling this alone find us. Now, don't forget, everyone, to shoot me that email requesting your free PDF for the Heart Talk journal prompts so that you can be prepared next time you need to go into a tough conversation. Oh, and one last thing. It's not too late to register to join us for our next workshop 
on the four principles for fighting fear. It's completely free. It's just a one-hour workshop from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific time on November 9th. We love to have you be part of that community where we are learning, healing, and growing together. And you can find the link in the show notes below to register, or you can find it at the top of our events page. Thank you so much for allowing me the privilege to walk with you today. I hope that in some way I was able to strengthen and encourage you and I'll talk to you soon. Okay, friends. Well, that wraps it up for this week. I really hope that you found this information helpful and that it served you in some way today. In complete transparency, I want you to know that I am not in any way, shape, or form an expert in the field of parenting. No, you're not going to find any fancy initials after this name. In fact, you know, I'm just a mom like you who had to navigate some really tough experiences with my teenage kids. And in my own desperate need for hope and healing in my family and in my life, I've spent a lot of time and energy researching and referencing all the things because if there is one thing I have learned, it's that we're stronger together. Your ratings and reviews mean so much. In fact, they can make or break a podcast. So if you found this information helpful today, would you take 60 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review It would mean so much to the mama who hasn't found us yet and to me. Oh, and don't forget to check out Pathways to Hope Network's website and be sure to subscribe. Each week we send out one to two messages that are designed to encourage and equip you as you find your path towards hope and healing. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Pathways to Hope Network is a nonprofit organization with a mission to serve families with children in the juvenile court system, and we do that by providing cost-free support, resources, and community. The link will always be in the show notes below. Remember, you were never meant to go through this alone.